Hello and welcome to Money Life. This is Sucheta Dilal. This time we are going to move away from defaults and talk about something else, which is issues that concern you and me as investors. So here's the good news. Two regulators, the Securities and Exchange Board of India and the Investor Education and Protection Fund Authority, not really a regulator, but under the Ministry of Corporate Affairs. They actually want our feedback among other stakeholders, but remember, we investors are the largest stakeholders. They want our feedback on two discussion papers that are relevant to us. So SEBI wants feedback on grievance redress and the Investor Education Fund, I'm going to call it IEPF in this video. It wants feedback on the system of claiming our own shares, which may be impounded and pooled by IEPF. I'll explain this a little in detail later. But basically, they have systems which are difficult to use. There are complaints about grievance redress. They want to improve it. And they're asking us whether their discussion paper, what they propose to do, makes sense. And they have posed some questions. Does this signal a new sensitivity towards investor issues, a genuine attempt to ease a friction-ridden process? Or is it just procedural, put it out there, get information, most investors don't bother anyway, and nothing much happens, you go ahead and do something and say, look, we have helped you. Let's analyze both of these. So SEBI's grievance redress is focused around what is called SCORES. SCORES stands for SEBI's Complaint Redress System. That's the acronym. So does SEBI score? Now, SEBI is looking to strengthen this redress mechanism. It wants to settle online disputes it wants the mechanism to work online so that you don't have to go and meet intermediaries. How does it work today? You first file a complaint with whoever you have a problem with, the company, the exchange, the depository, the broker. These are called market intermediaries, maybe a registrar as well. Then you have the exchanges and depositories are market infrastructure institutions. Now, if your problem remains unresolved, then you can file an online complaint with SEBI's complaint system, SCORES. SCORES will connect with the MI. If, if the issue, if the MI looks at it, MIB, the intermediary, the broker, or the company. If the problem can be solved, that ends the story, you're happy. If it cannot be solved, then it goes into a three-step process. That is mediation and conciliation, that doesn't work. There is an arbitration process with three arbitrators. There are fees involved. This is conducted by stock exchanges mainly. And if, again, people don't accept the arbitration judgment, then there is an appellate arbitration. Long process. Most investors get very hassled by it. Unfortunately, I believe that SEBI is only seeking feedback on the online process, which involves arbitration without first attempting to find out if SCORES is working as it should. SCORES itself, I think that should be the starting point, has a lot of issues and I'm going to talk about it. So what SEBI has done is put out a paper, framed some questions as it goes along, which to my mind can be answered very quickly from the investor perspective because it doesn't give us all the information that we want. So there's an online grievance redress system that is welcome. We don't want to spend time going to an exchange, spending days together, taking leave if you're a young investor. So yeah, going online is great. The problem is 
whether online or offline, it will remain one-sided and prejudiced against the investor. And we have been saying this all the time at Money Life in our columns and at Money Life Foundation in so many of our seminars. Why is it unfair? Why is it against the investor? Because the process today pits an investor, me, who has a problem with say the broker or a company or uh, a registrar against somebody. So my knowledge is limited. I know how to trade. I know what to buy, but I don't know all the rules about the stock exchange, what rules govern brokers, how they can be sidestepped, how you can be lured into saying things which will work against you when there's a dispute. Pitted against me, maybe a large broker, because most of us trade through large brokers who have specialized teams, deep pockets, they have lawyers on their payroll who are working on these investor complaints, appearing before SEBI, appearing in arbitrations day in and day out. So an expert, lots of money, knowing all the rules on one side, an innocent investor, maybe not so innocent, maybe a little greedy, but lured into doing the wrong things on the other side, fighting. How unequal is that? Now, to add to that, the psychological part, that most of the broker's representatives are on such friendly terms with the exchange officials. Hopefully all that will not be visible and intimidating when it goes online, but one never knows, right? On the other hand, the lawyers with all their skills at cross-examination and the knowledge that they have and throwing jargon at you can bulldoze investors. So SEBI officials first have to understand and acknowledge that it is already an unfair system. There's nothing about this in the consultation paper. Then, if it wants to make it fairer, it needs to handle investor complaints in-house. The whole effort on SEBI's part is we are the regulator. We are going to push all the work that we can avoid onto intermediaries. And I don't think that works for us. It also needs to expand the scope of the discussion and starts with whether scores itself need serious revamping. You know, I asked this question on Twitter where I have a fair bit of followers. Those who responded were mostly negative. One or two said it worked. Maybe the companies they complained about resolved it. End of story. Now, this is so different. SEBI is so different from what it was 30 years ago when it started. In fact, in the early 90s, when G.B. Ramakrishna, who was SEBI's most effective chairman yet, the first after it got his statutory teeth and most effective, tells you the record. He came up with the strategy. That time, SEBI did not have even a tenth of the past that it has today. So how did he get people to listen? He compiled all the com investor complaints and started issuing press releases, which we in the media used to carry regularly. It named and shamed companies with the highest pending investor complaints. The result was electric. There was a drastic reduction in complaints because no companies wanted to figure among the top 10 or top 20 that SEBI used to put out. Remember, it's coming from a regulator. They couldn't even complain. The situation today is so diametrically different. And you know what I mean. In fact, the entire SCORES website seems designed to keep out investors, restrict information. And why would they do it? To protect powerful stakeholders, all the people that you're complaining against. Depository participants, maybe a broker, maybe. Now, how do you find this out? If you're a cautious investor, you decide you're opening a broking account. Maybe you want to just go and check the track record of this broker market intermediary. You may probably think, well, let me go to the complaint system and go to scores. What do you encounter? 
Here's a screen I'm showing you, a mandatory registration process even to get in. Now, is it a simple registration like everywhere else, name, password? No, it asks for your Aadhaar, it asks for a PAN number, EKYC, bank account, bank IFSC code, over and above email and mobile number. I mean, how bizarre is that? This is a great example of how citizens need to be protected from unnecessary data collection by the government. Why on earth should you give an Aadhaar to log on to scores and be registered? I mean, you may be just registering there to see whether or not you can complain, but you're giving your life story there. And think about it, all this data, we don't know whether SEBI has systems to protect this registration data behind an impenetrable wall, but it's collecting this data. If at all this gets hacked, your bank accounts could be cleaned. Maybe your DMAD accounts could also be cleaned out. But SEBI asks these questions. Why? Because it's a regulator, it's a government body. It can, so it will. And there are no rules in this country to say who can ask data, why, when, why for scores. I mean, if you have a complaint, depending on what the complaint is, whether there is money involved, you can ask for bank account details. Why to register on scores? Who's going to ask the question? In fact, let me be honest, I have not filed a complaint on scores, so I discovered it only in the process of writing or doing this video blog. Now, in fact, there should be not only should SEBI put out information about number of complaints so that I can go to scores and check whether somebody I'm going to register with is good enough. How do they handle complaints? Keep out personal details, keep out the names of complainants, but put at least broad numbers. Will I want to open a broking account with someone who has a lot of complaints? Would I trust a depository participant against whom people are complaining? How do I know the regulator has a fiduciary obligation to make this available to me. Not just that, there has to be an escalating matrix of penalties. So certain number of complaints, repetitive complaints, it's not enough that each individual investor files a complaint, fights it out, maybe gets redressed, maybe not. If there are repeated complaints or too many complaints, say after 50 complaints or 20 complaints, we don't know what the numbers are. SEBI does not give us data. SEBI has to be able to say, if the percentage of complaints is above a certain level, you will pay a penalty and it should be automatic. So why not introduce this as part of scores? SEBI asks a question instead in its discussion paper saying, should intermediaries be required to publish data and information regarding arbitration matters? Remember, this is after mediation, conciliation, arbitration is the third step. Why intermediaries? Why should SEBI not publish all data on number of complaints, number of grievances, how many are redressed, how many remain open from month to month, how many go into arbitration? Does the broker or intermediary hassle the investor by filing needless uh, appellate arbitration? It wants to cancel the appellate arbitration, great idea, but frankly, a lot needs to be done because how are investors supposed to weigh in on this discussion paper without adequate information? That paper itself should have put out a lot more. SEBI has to collate market-wide data, put it in the public domain. Only then can relevant feedback be received. 
especially from us. We are the largest stakeholders. We may seem powerless, but in numbers, we are the largest. Now look at investor feedback. So Arnaud Deshaw, an investor, has been one of the few people who's given a detailed reply to this. So he says, something as simple as a link to download documents on scores is dysfunctional since September 2020 when he tried to file a complaint. He has a complaint against a company. He says, there is so much information asymmetry that the company and the people who are dealing with the regulator seem to have far more information than what is given to him as an investor. So there are two people, one person complaining against the other. This person, be the company and powerful, is in touch with Sebi, gets a lot more information. This guy doesn't matter. He's the investor, so he gets nothing. So Sebi gets a reply from the company. And this is a complaint we have received repeatedly. Acts like a post office, receives things from the more powerful the intermediary, the more believable, according to Sebi officials, they are. Because they're quite happy to take this information, close the complaint, and move on. They don't even bother. So basically, act like a post office, close the complaint after hearing the intermediary. The largest complaint is that officials handling scores are eager to transfer responsibility to intermediaries, especially stock exchanges. So make one attempt, dump it on the exchange, say go in for conciliation, arbitration, rather than understand the grievance and make a serious attempt to resolve it. It's an unequal battle which starts at the regulator itself, which is putting out this paper. And remember, the preamble to the SEBI statute puts investor protection ahead of market regulation. It's its job, it's its duty to put us first. It's not happening. So forget the other questions. I think SEBI needs to go back to basics, look at scores, then have a discussion with us. We are happy to participate. I'm sure you'll agree. Now let's go to IEPF. What is IEPF? Like I said, Investor Educational Protection Fund. So if you have shares, bonds, dividend, interest, bonus, which you have not claimed for seven years, could be any number of reasons. You are an heir, you have inherited something, it's in litigation. There are many reasons why people don't claim it. It's lying with the company for seven years. Then under a previous amendment to the Companies Act, the Ministry of Corporate Affairs said all this money will be transferred to the ministry under a pool called the Investor Education and Protection Fund. This was supposed to be used for our benefit. Instead, IEPF has created an authority, has all kinds of partners, completely non-transparent, and it's using the money to give ads, and apparently it's educating us. I don't know if any of you have gone there and got educated. Main thing is that it allows you to go there if you discover that your shares are lying with the company and have been transferred to the pool, provide the data and get it back. Since people move from physical shares to DMAT shares, there are lots of people who did not know what happened, did not get them dematerialized, and are slowly discovering that the shares are lying there. And believe it or not, a lot of them are discovering because there are agencies who have become specialized in helping you recover. They see your name there, they get your number, they call you up, and they say, do you know that your father had shares and these shares are lying with IEPF? So you go there to IEPF, has an online process, which is so difficult that people are complained that they're not able to get their shares back. It's cumbersome, full of friction. So there are, like I said, specialized agencies, IEPF claim, share Samadhan, Rikowski, and scores of others. Okay, They charge anywhere between 20 to 50% of the value of money locked in IEPF to 
help you through the process and get it back for you. People are paying 50%. And the ministry, strangely enough, run by bureaucrats, IEPF stubbornly insisted that we have this beautiful mechanism. It's easy for you to do. You don't need agents. The constant warnings don't go and get agents to help you. In fact, most people will tell you that's the only way they're able to get it because it is so deadening. Now, the good news, they have discovered that their process is difficult and they have this discussion paper to improve things. I must also say they've done a good job with the discussion paper. There are lots of details. What they're going to do is create more online interface with investors and companies to make it much faster, to make it simpler. We have written about this. Here's a link that I'm showing you where you can go and look at it for the faster process. And they're making it much more simple if your claim is below 5 lakhs. Documentation will be very low. You don't need to get things notarized. You can self-attest. If it's a little more, if it's above 5 lakhs, then there are lots of... They're saying they're relaxing things even there. Now, the discussion paper says, where is the problem? They blame it on companies because they say companies are taking a very long time for verification. Remember, after dematerialization, companies have closed these specialized share transfer agents. So it's possible that the company secretary with a couple of people is going through the hassle. So you have changed the rules of the game. You've changed how it works and you're dumping it back on companies saying, hey, do this and do it faster. Now they want it online. Let's hope it works. I think the idea is good. But remember, Companies close down share departments because they're not needed. There are registrar and transfer agents. Now you're pushing it back, say, come online, do this, do that. Strict timelines. Why are they doing it? Because they are the regulator. They are the ministry. They can crack the whip. On the positive side, like I said, the IEPF paper is very detailed. It's specific in its analysis. It seems sincere about the claims process. In fact, I strongly recommend that if you're an investor, please read the paper, go and make the effort. There are reasons for the delays listed, the discrepancies which occur all the time, the mistakes that you're likely to make, why things are rejected. So if you fix all that before you put in your application, there's a good chance it may work faster because you'll take care of these issues. There are issues with nominees, succession certificates, there are issues when there is joint accounts or there is further corporate action after the shares have been impounded, like there's a share split or a bonus issue. So if the investors know and look and handle this before the application, it's going to make it a lot easier. Even in terms of other information, this paper is a lot more detailed. For instance, it tells you that 5,685 crore is there with IEPF as of November 2022. This accounts for 1.17 billion unclaimed shares. It's a lot of shares. Then it has details of the claims filed and disposed. Here's a chart that I'm showing you. As you can see, there's a lot of transparency. What has been refunded, what has been rejected, what is approved. I appreciate that. Far better than what SEBI has done. But this excellent report, otherwise excellent report, ends by posing three questions, which I have an issue with. Okay, They, if you ask me, look like an attempt of IEPF to, again, like I said, dump responsibility elsewhere. So we will sit on these 5,000 crores and the interest. We'll have our friends, which is 
you know, the Institute of Chartered Accountants, company secretaries, we'll call them partners, we'll do seminars with them, bureaucrats, mind you, enjoying our money in the authority. But the hard work, we'll do a little bit and dump it on companies. So see the questions. First question, should the approval process of claims remain with the IEPF authority or delegated to a company up to a threshold for certain kinds of claims or delegated completely? Why delegate? You've taken the money. You have said DMAT. They don't need a shared department. You are sitting on the money, 5,000 crore and the interest turned on it. You do the work in the ministry. Employ people. If there are these agencies that are taking money and doing it, you do the work. Don't delegate. That's our response. Remember, IEPF has blamed companies. It is enjoying the interest. So I find this a shocking attempt to transfer its duties. Second question. Should the shares and amount be transferred to IEPF directly, by IEPF directly to the claimant or to the company, which will further transfer it? So instead of eating like this, I will give it to that person and that person will give it to you. Why? That person being the company again. Why are they bringing companies here? Because they are the regulator. They can crack a whip, make companies do things. I don't know, hold a brief for companies, but you are sitting on the money. You are sitting on the interest and benefits. Why will you not use it to give it directly? Why will you give it through a company when it is impounded with the IPF authority? So you will give it back to the company and ask the company to give it to reduce your work to reduce being blamed, I don't think this works. And that's why it makes you wonder what is the actual intent behind this paper at all. Last question, should any threshold of limitation be brought by which claims can be settled only as value of shares or time bound? So what they want to do is after, so remember after seven years, the shares are transferred. They say, we'll hold it for 10 years as shares or bonds. After that, we'll sell them that value, which is frozen at that time, can be claimed back by you. On one hand, it looks like a great idea. But when you think carefully, it's not so great. Because what is it that you're going to claim from IEPF only if it's a blue chip, which actually has gone up in value, which has been paying bonuses, dividend, or bonds, which are of high value, have an interest to pay. Why will you sell this? If it is defunct, like they say, gone into insolvency, hey, I'm not going to chase it either. My father or grandfather may have owned it. I have inherited it, but it is of zero value. I'm not going to spend one minute of my time or effort to chase it. So trying to convert is rubbish. They are stuck with a whole bunch of shares of dud companies. They want to get rid of the problem. They're making it out as though it's something that they're putting up for discussion. Doesn't make sense. In fact, let them start thinking about this. Orphan shares, we call them. So if you have a DMAT account and the company's shares that you're holding has gone bankrupt, you can't close that DMAT account because these orphan shares, which have no value on which you pay depository fees, continue to exist. And no regulator wants to think about it. Here's IPF wanting to transfer this problem. So what we can encash, we'll encash. The rest you forget. I don't think it's done. It needs a lot more discussion, not a quick answer. So good news and bad news. They're asking us questions. They haven't thought through what they're asking. In IEPF's case, wonderful report. Intent is not clear. The three questions that they have framed, our answers are negative for all of them. This affects you if you're in the market.
If you are, please pay attention to it. Listen to it again. Go and look at the links that I've given you. Read these reports. Send your own response if you can. And let's weigh in because it matters before they change the rules. 26th and 27th are the last days. They may be extended. So it's not just two days away. But do respond. And if you agree with what I say, share it with other investors and subscribe to Money Life. Thank you.